Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. She would let it rain until we were all flooded. To give you some background on that statement, you might not be familiar with the song, but Michael W. Smith wrote a song, and it goes something like this. Let it rain, uh, let it rain, open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain. And uh, the song was part of a uh, checkered doctrinal past that I uh, have been redeemed from, hopefully. Amen. Uh, and it, I used to participate in a college ministry in a denomination that uh, will remain nameless to protect the, the guilty. Um, but in that ministry, I uh, played guitar in the band, and we used to um, sing Let It Rain, open the floodgates of heaven and let it rain. And we, we would do that for a good 10 minutes until everybody's emotions were all good and flooded at that point. And that wasn't the only song we did that with. There were all kinds of other 7-Eleven worship songs that we now know what a 7-Eleven is. It's not a gas station, right? It's a worship song in which you say the seven, same seven words 11 times. So we would do that for a good... Ten minutes per song, um, it felt like and feels like time. Um, and we would do that. And, and the emphasis behind that was don't think too hard about what you're doing. Think about what you're feeling and the environment that we're creating. Give yourself to it and be swept away in it. The environment feelings. Don't think too hard. Give yourself to these things. Be swept away. That was the emphasis. But the scriptures know no such attitude or motivation for praise. The scriptures don't know anything about mindless praise. We're going to look at Psalm 33 today in which the writer of the songbook of God's people desires to stir the people of God up to praise God. And real quick, before I use that as common church vernacular, what are we talking about when we say praise? Just so everybody's on the same page. Here in Psalm 33, he uses different words that are sometimes interchangeable for the same things. Shout for joy, praise, give thanks to him, sing to him, sing to him a new song. All of those are in here. And these phrases all have something in common. They're the expression of joy, thankfulness, and worship as a response to the Lord's excellence. A response to the Lord's excellence. John Piper put it like this. We want to go through your mind to your heart and have it come out your mouth with praise. Through the mind to the heart out the mouth with praise. Because the psalmist doesn't say be swept away in what you feel or the environment that you're in. No, the truth about God and the praise that is due Him is not contingent about your feelings. And I think that's what hits home to us to where we are. Because we're in such an environment that if, if it looks like there's a fog machine, then... Danny in the back ought to be pulling the fire alarm and we should exit in an orderly fashion, right? 
If it looks like there's a, a, if there's smoke in here, we should probably exit out of one of the doors to the back and to the right and back here, okay? In an orderly fashion. If it ever smokes in here. So we're not going to get caught up in an environment. We keep the lights on, and there's no smoke, and the lights are all warm lighting. We do that, but you might be sitting here right now not praising the Lord. Maybe you, you, through all the time to do it through music, you, you didn't. Why? Not because of the environment wasn't right, but because you just didn't feel like it. You just didn't feel like it. Your feelings weren't in it. Your back hurt. Your feet stink. Had trouble sleeping. Whatever it is. But what we see here in the text is that the praise of God is not dependent on any of that. The scriptures don't lead us to praise God based on how we feel about him or the environment that we're in. Instead, he points to people to knowing more about God to ignite their praise of him. Let's put it another way. When you know God as he is, you will praise him as you should. When you know God as he is, you will praise him as you should. In Psalm 33, the writer begins telling his audience to praise the Lord. That is right, it's fitting, and good to express the joy that we have in our hearts. It's good. Beginning in verse 4, he tells us three reasons why we should praise the Lord. Three motivations for praise in this text, at least. And the first one of those being that we should praise the Lord because of His creation. We should praise the Lord because of His creation. The psalmist says the word of the Lord is upright. And everything He does is in faithfulness. He elaborates on all that the Lord is in His Word. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. All of these things about His Word. And He combines His Word and His works in verse 6. By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. So what should stir up within you adoration for the Lord God Almighty? What, what, what is it? His word is right, and his works are faithful. And his word and his works really aren't separate things. No, 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 no. His word works. That's why you ought to praise him. I bought a $5 light bulb. I don't mean to brag, but I did. And it's in our bedroom, and I can walk into our bedroom. I had a friend that was fancy once. That's how I got into it, went down this road, if you're curious. But I got these $5 light bulbs, a few of them. And I'll walk into my bedroom, and I'll say, Alexa... Turn on bedroom. And you know what she'll do? She'll turn on the bedroom light. That's exactly what she'll do. I can go beyond that and say, play this song. What's the weather today? Why can I do that? Artificial intelligence, my friends. Welcome to the future. Welcome to the future. My light bulb is smarter than I am. And several other things and people and small animals. But like the light bulb is smarter than I am because it's connected to artificial intelligence. But not God. God is not like that. He's not like the little gadgets, the tinkering things that we made for ourselves. No. He says, let there be light and into existence pops a burning ball of fire 
hot enough to light the entire solar system. My light bulb trick is lame. It's lame. He doesn't use artificial intelligence. He uses the words of his mouth. And the breath of his mouth creates heavenly bodies. From the get-go, the first thing we learn from the psalmist is that you ought to offer praise to the Lord because he is not a more mature, grown-up, advanced version of you. He is not. Instead, he starts off in a different category. In a different category. I'm a guy with a fancy light bulb. He is a guy with one with universes. Stars that he hangs. Balls that he spins that... This one, right? We stand on this one. It blows my mind about how this thing is spinning, but none of us are dizzy. Isn't that crazy? That's a real question. Why aren't we dizzy? This ball is spinning. Has anybody ever thought about that? But I do know this one thing for sure. He spoke this spinning ball of dirt that's mostly water and it doesn't turn into mud, right? There's water on this side and there's land on this side and it's not just mud. Do you see how ignorant we are? Why don't we all fall off? I know that one. Why isn't it all mud? There's land and water. And you know what? Water and dirt, when it gets together, it's mud. Somehow we stand on something solid. And we do so because of this verse that we ought to praise the Lord because of His creation. Because of His creation. In the text, there's a line drawn. On one hand, there is the Creator who spoke the world into existence. He made this ball spin that we all are on. And then He draws a line down the middle. And you know what? There's another class of people here. It's called the inhabitants of the earth. The inhabitants of the earth. There's the owner, operator, manager, redeemer, and the renters. Here we are. That's us. He does whatever his word creates, and we are not in that category. Look at how he does it in verse 8, the the separation here. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants, there we are, of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The reason why it's not mud. The end of verse 9. Because he says, stop it. And it stays right there. And that's why the water stays right there. That's why the land stays right there. The answer right in the text. For why this isn't mud. Because he tells them to sit. And they do. So in one category, there's the creator. In the other category, there's all the earth, their inhabitants therein. We are not the same. We are not the same. Jerry Seinfeld tells a joke about if a guy goes into his garage and he starts working, that the sound of the drill is like a dog whistle. And the other guys in the neighborhood just start poking their heads outside of their houses and they go to be where this guy is working. You all have probably done that, right? You're not going there to help. He says the guys don't go there to help. They just want to be in the place in which work is being done. You've seen them. Doing the highway, right? There's that one guy working, and the other guys are in the area in which the work is being done. It, it's, it's, it has to happen, right? Because if those other guys weren't watching, that one guy would not be working. They're all making sure he's working. And then we see the category of the worker and the watchers. You see what I'm saying? And here in the text, there is the one who works with his words, and the rest of us who are not anything like him. 
A good family friend of ours put new brakes on our, our van the other day, and you, you want to know what I contributed to the situation. Did I hold the flashlight? No, my, my kids did that. I didn't even do that. I just got sunburned. That's what I accomplished with the van's brakes, sunburn. See, there's two categories in the, in, the, in the verses, the worker and everybody else. And what is working here to create? The Word of God. The Word of God. He speaks and it is. He bosses creation in such a way he commands waters to move, mountains to sit still, and they do, all by his mouth. Let everyone be in awe of our Creator because of that. There's no, none like him, nobody that can do what he can do. But why wouldn't you praise him because of his creation? Why wouldn't you? What's the obstacle to this? You know what the competitor of awe is? Familiarity. Familiarity. That creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Yet, to the bored and burned out among us. Those are just bored with, with God. Holy things. You probably wouldn't admit it. And if you did admit it, you wouldn't admit it somewhere here like this. Maybe you're just bored. Maybe you're burned out. And why might you be bored or burned out? Because you've become familiar with this. Another day, another dollar. And the reason is because you've just become too familiar with these truths to be affected by them. Familiarity breeds boredom instead of awe with our Creator. So I'm saying when you know Him, you will praise Him. So maybe you're not praising Him like you should because you're familiar with the things you know with Him. So, what's the answer? What's the answer to this? What's the answer to the board? You're probably not listening, but if you're bored, just pay attention for just a second. If you're burned out, pay attention for just a second. Come back to me. For just a second. You need to come to terms with your category. With your category. Remember who we are and who he is. So how do you do that? Because you can't pretend reverence. You can't fake awe. I mean, you could. You could. You could do it. But it wouldn't really do anything. So how do you do that? You probably go about your day and, and give very little thought to these kind of things. And what has to happen, though, normally you have to get caught in a thunderstorm that shakes the ground and everything around you for you to look up to the Lord and say, wow, I am nothing like you. I am so little and so insignificant. Why would you ever look my way? Why would you ever reveal yourself to me? Your voice shakes the ground. Most of the time you have to get caught in that to understand how small you are in comparison to God Almighty and to praise Him because of His creation. Most of the time you have to see Him break an oak tree to the ground. Maybe on top of your house. Maybe you have to see that. So how do, how do we get past 
boredom and burnout to where we praise the Lord for his creation. That we can take all this in and praise come out of our mouths because of his excellence. Well, there is a prayer in Psalm 119.18 in which the psalmist asks the Lord that his eyes would be open to wonder. That his eyes would be open to behold wonder. To behold the wondrous things in the law of God. So to those of us who have closed our ears to the message of the heavens declaring the glory of God and the sky above proclaiming His handiwork and our ears are shut and then we look out at creation and we don't see anything, we don't see any wonder, there's no awe, there's no reverence. What's for dinner? Did the Reds win? There is hope that we see there in Psalm 119 that your eyes can be opened to wonder. That you can pray that specific thing to the Lord and there can be a work of God in that arena in which he can open your eyes to wonder. To wondrous things in his law. So to the board and burn out among us, you can pray that specifically. Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Let me see. If creation is proclaiming glory and I don't see it. If creation is showing reasons to praise and I don't do it, pray specifically. Do it right now. Do it right now. Pray that your eyes would be opened. Opened. We can't ignore the most visible sign of the power of God, the result of the words of his mouth, the ground in which we stand on. We ought to praise him because of his creation. And not only that, because he didn't just start a process and walk away, but he is involved. To put it mildly, he's involved. To put it biblically, he is sovereign over it. He's not just owner of the earth, but operator. So we should praise the Lord because of his creation. And secondly, because of his command. Because of his command. So first, there's this distinction between God and his creation there in verses 4 through 9. And now the psalmist shows us the distinction between God and his enemies. Between God and his enemies. His plans will succeed even when whole nations revolt against him. His creation is not on his level and his rivals don't have a chance against him. He elaborates on this in verse 13. Look at it there. He looks down and he sees everything. He made their hearts, observes everything that's done. He's over the nations. He's all-seeing, all-powerful. That The most powerful among us cannot withstand. How sovereign and powerful is this control? This is how the psalmist says this. Look at verse 16 in your scriptures. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. So the Lord looks down on all the people... The man with the most power is not saved from God ultimately by the way he isolates himself. You see these three things here. The king, the warrior, and the war horse in verses 16 and 17. And what are they? They're things that people depend on. The position of the king is what he looks to to save him. The power of the warrior is what he looks at to save him. And the war horse is a possession resource that people looked to to save them. 
because of the command of God over his creation, your position, your power, and your possessions are no match for the one who commands the universe. Unfortunately, we often look at these things too supreme. And how do we, how do we, how do, what does it look like in your life when you go and try to be saved functionally by these things? Well, my optimist friends, here's what you normally do. Well, I may hate my job, but I have money in the bank. Let's keep going, shall we? We play this optimistic game when things go wrong. I may not have money in the bank, but at least we already placed the grocery order. <laughs> right? Job, food. So job, money, food. And we go on down. At least we have this. At least this is still okay. At least this is okay. We're in trouble, but at least this is okay. We try to make it all better because at least whatever it is we point to, we go, that's not falling apart. Car has three wheels, but at least it has three wheels. Look at that. I'm saying that we should stop that game. I'm not just saying that as a recovering pessimist. Like, we, we shouldn't do that because we're tying ourselves to those things. I don't enjoy, if you don't enjoy your job, it doesn't matter if you have money in the bank. You can have all the money in this world, and it will not save you before God one day. You can love your job, have money in the bank, and have all the possessions you want, and lose your soul, and not be saved, and delivered in the eyes of God. Why? Because he looks down on all the things that we put stock in to say, we're okay because of this. For the Christians in the room, this means that we tie our being okay to him alone. And we don't play that game of least common denominators. At least this isn't falling apart. No, no, no. Our joy is in the Lord. Everything else can be and potentially will be taken from us except from him. So that's why it's really important that we praise him because of his command. It's because he is constant in that. It's not just constant in his command. Not just that. But we should praise him for this third reason here in the text. Because of his creation, because of his command and his constant love. Verse 18. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. So do you see this, right? That he's talking about everyone on earth and how they ought to fear the Lord. And he sees everything that they're doing. He has extensive knowledge of their intentions. He made the human heart here in the text. He sees them and knows. But if you look at verse 18, his eyes on his people, he watches them in a, in a different way. In a different way. Position, power, possessions, no. It's unnecessary. Look at verse 19. That he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. In famine. So what is the, the, the Christian? The Christian is one whose the, the eye of the Lord is on you. And he is able, my friends, to sustain you even when there aren't resources to do so. He is not dependent on power, position, and possessions. He can sustain his people during famine. He can do whatever he desires because he commands his creation. And the beautiful news for us, and the praiseworthy news for us, is that he has constant love for his people. Constant love for his 
people. There's those people who are counting on their power, possession, and position. But if you're part of the people of God, you know that your only hope is that God loves you. That God loves you. And he's able to keep you alive when nothing else will. See, the nations, the nations here in the text, are counting their resources. Meanwhile, the person of God is counting on God. They say, how does our strength compare to the task in front of us? Not the person of God. His eyes are on us and we hope in his steadfast love. Our success isn't in our strength. Notice what he doesn't say here in the text. He doesn't say, look at the nations of the world flexing their muscles, but not God. His biceps are bigger than that. He's stronger than they are. You know, the text doesn't really even deal with the might of God anyway. It just assumes it. Would you really want to get in a flexing competition with the one who created the heart inside your chest? That's a silly game. And speaking of silly games, I don't think our dads ever got in fights. But there was a game that we played growing up in the place that I came from. And you might have played this game. But it goes something like this. My dad could beat up your dad. That's like some of you... Some of y'all have clearly played that game. Hopefully y'all weren't the dads that were fighting. But like, I mean, like, that's a little boy's game. What do little boys do? They say, well, my dad could beat up your dad. That's the games we played. And then uh, we'd tell them why our dad was stronger. And then if they're like, yeah, but my dad's stronger, then we'd go, well, my dad has more guns than your dad. That's what we would do. That's a game we'd play. But that is not... But this is, when he tells you to praise the Lord, he's not saying it because the Lord's stronger than his creation. And, and, and there's just like a battle of strength. No, he's not even in their category. He's not even in the category. This isn't a game. God versus everyone else on the scale put together isn't an issue of strength. He doesn't even really focus on the strength. The isolated king, strongest army and warrior, person with the most resources isn't even comparable. Praise him because he made you. Praise him because he's active in your life. And praise him because he loves you. And he always will. Let that stir up in you because of his excellence. Think about the consequences of this. Why he doesn't talk about the strength of God, but the love of God. Why? Because if there was one of us who was all powerful and who could accumulate all of this strength over the nations, then the consequences could be disastrous, potentially. For example, Thanos in Avengers Infinity War, if you're pagan enough to watch things like that, what he did was he, if you're not, I'll explain it, he accumulated all of the Infinity Stones for himself. He accumulated all of this power. It, was, it, was, it all went in a glove, which is pretty lame if you think about it. It'd be like, oh, look at that. It was on his knuckles. You know, I'm telling it in a way that makes it sound really silly. But anyway, he accumulated all of these colored rocks, and he put it on his knuckles. And, and what he was able to do with the snap of his finger was to wipe out half of the population of the earth in this movie. 
That's why the psalmist talks so much about the steadfast or unfailing love of God as a reason to praise him, as something you put your hope. Because if there was someone who could call things into existence with their mouth, who could create the sun with words, if he could do that, if there's one who could do that, and here in the text, if he could pile up the waters with a heap and look down on all the nations of the earth, bringing their plans to nothing, and his plans endure, ruling sovereignly over kings and the strong among us, if there is one like that, you got one more question after that. So if there is one who exists that is like this in power, in control, in command, in creation, what does he think of me? That's the next question. If he is all-powerful, imagine what kind of disaster and destruction could happen if such power was into the hands of one who was evil or one who thought I was the problem, one who was against me. So the question, two questions, does this one exist? And if he does, what does he think of me? What does he think of me? At this point, in the storyline of the scriptures, we find out that this one does exist. He created everything with the word of his mouth in six days. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be skies, and there was skies. He said, let dry land appear, and there was, guess what, dry land. And he said, let seas come about, and there were seas, plants, trees, sun, moon, stars. He said, fill it up. And it was filled up with creatures. The sixth day of his creation, he created man in his own image. Out of the dust of the ground, he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The apex of his creation was us. Us. We were to be a reflection of his glory and an instrument for his praise. That's what he did. The one who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens, he measured the dust and weighed the mountains on the scale. That one, that one right there, what happened? We doubted his word and his goodness. We doubted his word and his goodness. Deciding instead to make our own decisions. The Bible calls that sin. And what did God do? He looks down on his creation, refusing to praise him. Did all the power go to his head and he just completely end his creation? No. Instead, he did the unthinkable. Something that you wouldn't have done. He entered into his creation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he did. He wrapped himself in human skin to live the perfect life, exchanging endless praise from sinless beings to be murdered by his own creatures. Dying on the cross for all of your rebellion against God. Paying for everything you've done in your refusal to praise him and your praise of your own name. He died on the cross for that. If you turn from counting on your position, your power, and your possessions as what makes your life worth living and the reason you live and the aim of your goal of life 
and make your entire life about the Lord Jesus, God will forgive your sin and give you life forever with him. The scriptures promise this, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be saved. And why would God do this? Because his constant love is for the undeserving. His constant love is for the undeserving. And he loves us, as one of our storybook Bibles say, with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. That's what he does. That's why when the psalmist tells us how to respond in this song, he repeats verse 18 and verse 22, that our only hope is the constant love of God, and that is towards undeserving sinners. To put it in the context of this chapter, that is praiseworthy love. His eye is on you. He's able to deliver you even when there aren't resources for him to do so. He is not limited by resources. He is not limited by anyone or anything. Famine in the land, famine in the bank, famine in your strength. And for that, let his name be praised. And when you know him as he is, you'll praise him as you should. You should praise him for his creation, his command, and his constant love. And he finishes this psalm telling us how we ought to respond. Telling us how we ought to respond. Look at it in verse 20. He reflects this truth. This is for him, himself. We should praise him as we wait on him. Verse 20, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. You see they're not counting on the, the, the king that's counting his army. No, no thanks. The warrior that's counting the strength like the young among us would be like, my health will always be there. Probably not. You know how you have room to live on this planet? People died. The generation before you is not here. There'll be a generation after you. And a generation after. Like there'll be replacements. Why? Because our health never sustains. So the king looks at the position they're in. I'm sitting happy, retired, doing well. Good for you. I'm young, strong. I have strength. I have my health. Good for you. I got money in the bank. Good for you. I need to talk to you. I got to, I'd like to, uh, no, <laughs> I'd like to take out a loan if that's okay. No. Good for you. Good for you. However, for the Christian though, he, he or she doesn't hope on any of those things. Why? He is our help. He is our shield. So we praise him, waiting on him, knowing that he is our resource. The person of God is the shield of the people of God. He is the protector of the people of God. We, we can't look to our positions, our power, and our possessions. No, we look to the person of God. He's our shield. So when you don't have something that you think you need, if you feel like you're lacking, like you've been passed over, like you've missed out on something, you're lacking, this tells us that he is our help and he is our shield. So wait on him. Praise him as he waits, you, as you wait. You already have enough evidence and reason and motivation to praise him. You already have it. Look out at the world and all that he's made, all his works that he commands. Know that he's working even when you can't see him. Verse 21 says you should trust in his holy name. That's his character. So that is how we wait on him. When we don't know what he's doing, when we don't know how he's working things out, we don't know what he's going to do, we can know who he is. 
We can know who he is. We should trust his character, praise his character, even when we don't know what he's going to do. Even when we know, don't know. But we know this about him. He always does what's right. He is good and he does good. He loves righteousness, to use the words of Psalm 33. What else? Verse 21. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. So we wait on him as we praise him. You should be glad in him as you praise him. That means we tie our joy, gladness, ability to be okay in him alone. So that job, that little mental game we play, where if something goes wrong, we go down the list. No, he is the reason we're okay. He's the reason we're okay. Tie it to him. Tie it to him. And then verse 22, let your steadfast love, Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. So we hope in him as we praise him. I shared the gospel with a gentleman in the last couple weeks. And he said that he hopes everything's all right with him and God. And I said, I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. And those are not the same type of hope, right? Like, it's not a wish. It's not a wish. Biblical hope that he's talking about here, it's not a wish. It's not a penny you drop into a a puddle. It's not. Hope, biblical hope, is future confidence in what God will do. It's faith in the future. Our hope is in Him. Hope in Him as you praise Him. Because He's worthy of praise. Because of His creation, His command, and His constant love. And as we do this, we don't need to be swept away by an environment that we create or feelings that are stirred up. Do you notice how all of this connects? Is that you need to be swept away in a person. Not by an environment, not by feelings, but be caught up, be swept away. Give yourself to the person of God. How do I do that? Well, when you know him as he is, you'll praise him as you should. And you are called to praise him. And the only reason, the only way you would do that is if you know him. Is if you know him. And how do we get caught up in a person, the person of God? We have to figure out what he's like. I was driving down the road. We've been to a million pharmacies this week with the weather that our house is under. And I got to thinking, I still can't believe that my wife has my last name. I cannot believe it. It blows me away. I still can't believe I tricked her. Just kidding. I still can't believe that, that she agreed to all of these things, to be with me. Back at that ministry that we talked about, I used to clap when she walked in the room. I used to like try to lead. Like, I, that's embarrassing for her, I'm sure. I just thought, I was like, this seems praiseworthy, right? Whatever is be- pure, whatever is beautiful, I think I see something, you know? <laughs> but how, how, do we, how do we get caught up in a person we know them? And we commit time, place, and space to knowing them. So how do we do that? We commit to knowing who God is. Day after day, we wake up, regardless of how we feel, and we set aside time, place, and space 
to be in his word and to figure out what he's like. Because this isn't like the Wizard of Oz in which the, we pay no attention, like we talked about a few weeks ago, pay no attention to the guy behind the, behind the curtain. No. He is not some pitiful old man that we're, the church is trying to hide that is incapable of, of standing for himself. No. He spoke everything into existence with his mouth. Do you think he needs propping up by me and you? Do you think he's entertained by a show? He paints cotton candy in the clouds. Do you think he's impressed by you or anybody else or any other thing? No. So this call to praise is a call to know. And just like a man and his wife, we give ourselves to a person. And the way we do that is commit to knowing them. Because to know him is to love him. And to know him is to praise him. And when we know him as he is, we'll praise him as we should. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. I pray that you would stir up in us motivation to praise because of your awesomeness. Create awe, reverence, praise from your creatures. We are the work of your hands. Save those among us that do not know you, that do not worship you, that do not praise you. Ignite passion in the board. Inflame the burned out with passion for your glory. Do what only you can do. We trust you to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.